Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. On today's episode, we have the continuation of last week's story. Esther Sitch has been helping Charles Hoffman track down a mysterious woman in a clockwork dress. Her mission has led her to a union hall in Ridley and to the Frycore compound in the quarantine zone. But her work is far from complete. I hope you enjoy part three of Ripples of Fate, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the Guild's Secret Elite Division. When you want a job done covertly, the Elite Division is a place to turn. In fact, we probably don't exist at all. We should certainly never have broadcast an ad on the Ethervox. Just forget this whole thing ever happened and go about your day. As he returned to her safe house to find the construct, a watcher and not a hunter, thankfully, waiting for her. Being in the same room where she'd been attacked only a few days earlier made her nervous, especially when she happened to glance in the direction of the shattered window, so she sent the flying construct swooping out to signal Hoffman and spent the rest of her time waiting for him on the curb. It took less than an hour for a carriage to arrive, but when it did, instead of a human driver, there was a bulbous little construct perched atop the front seat. She was disappointed to find that Hoffman wasn't waiting for her inside, however, and after a long moment spent trying to decide whether or not she trusted a construct to steer horses down a crowded street, she eventually gave up and climbed inside. Thankfully, the construct proved her concerns unjustified, and soon she was back in Hoffman's office, seated backwards in a chair with her arms folded over the back of it. Anna Lovelace. I believe I recall my brother mentioning her. Hoffman was behind his desk, still strapped into his walking harness. That's what her sister Hannah told me. She also said that she had been working for the Resurrectionists, and that she really hated your brother. I got the impression that the Freikor had lost track. Hoffman raised a hand to stop her. They told you that she hated my brother. There was a new tenseness in his voice but she couldn't tell if it was due to excitement or fear. Yeah, so... Essie sat up, resting one hand on the back of her chair as she rubbed her neck with the other. Hannah said that it had something to do with your brother stealing her research back when they were both attending the same university. The scowl that appeared on Hoffman's face looked very out of place on his otherwise studious features. Ah, yes. He did mention an accusation when he was still in school, But my brother would never steal someone's work, so I didn't give it much thought. Essie raised her hands to quell the anger she heard in his voice. 
I never said that he did, just that Anna accused him of such. It must have been just a story, because they kicked her out over it. There was a brief silence. Then Hoffman sighed. My apologies, Miss Sitch. This is very useful information. It explains quite a bit, honestly. Just why are you trying to find this woman? She had returned to leaning forward on the back of her chair. She took my brother, he admitted, his shoulders slumping with the revelation. The other person in that photograph of Anna, the one with the mechanical augmentations, that is Ryle. Essie's eyes widened with surprise, and her mouth pursed into a small O-shape. She dug up your brother and turned him into that thing. I guess she really did hate him. Um, I'm really sorry about that, Mr. Hoffman. Hoffman had raised a hand to the side of his face and was slowly rubbing his temple. I appreciate the sympathy, Miss Sitch, but my brother is not among the undead. He suffered an accident coming through the breach four years ago, and desperate measures were required to save his life. That is how I first met Victor Ramos. Essie glanced at the open office door, then leaned over and pushed it shut. Sure. She clawed around for a way to change the topic. So she... What, used some sort of mind control spell on him? Because in the photograph, he didn't seem to be putting out much of a fight against her. Hoffman nodded absently, and began tapping a pen against his desk as he mulled the problem over. The tap-tap-tap filled the growing silence like the tick of a flawlessly precise pocket watch, until every tap felt like a nail being driven into Essie's ears. Right, so... Essie hopped up to her feet, pulling Hoffman out of his thoughts as he looked to her. The way I see it, she continued, is that I've done a pretty good job of finding out who this woman is for you. You tapped me for my arcanist connections and this has moved well beyond the sphere of their influence and into the resurrectionists and amalgamations and family histories, and frankly, I don't care what else. She held out her arm, the one with the fading bruise from where he'd injected her. How about we pull this thing out of my arm, you write that pardon for me, and we both shake hands and go our separate ways. I have one more request for you, Miss Sitch, and then our business is concluded. He gestured to the chair and Essie sank back into it with a groan of exaggerated suffering. He flashed her a look of sympathy, then leaned forward, the servo motors in his walking harness whirring quietly as he folded his hands together and rested them on his desk. I am aware of a certain former member of the elite division who recently spent some time infiltrating the resurrectionist organization, and I would like for you to speak with her regarding this Anna Lovelace. It is a long shot, but it is possible that she knows something or overheard something about where I can find her. Essie ran a hand through her hair in impotent frustration. Right, sure. Why don't you just send one of your watcher constructs out to fetch her? As I said, Miss Belrose is a former member of the elite division. In all likelihood, she will not take kindly to guild personnel, living or mechanical, showing up on her doorstep and we have a much better chance of convincing her to cooperate if we do not unduly agitate her in the process. Wait. Essie frowned as something clicked in her mind. Elite division. I thought that was just something the Union made up to scare new recruits. You're telling me that it's real. 
Hoffman grimaced. Unfortunately so, Miss Sitch. Unfortunately so. Emmeline Belrose had been surprised when Essie showed up at her door, but she had nevertheless opened it and invited her inside. I hope you don't mind if I pack while we talk, the Frenchwoman had said as she pulled a suitcase out from under the bed. I'm curious how you found me, Miss Sitch, Essie replied, as she stood awkwardly near the door. The apartment was small and cramped, consisting of just a desk and a small bed, both of which were piled high with uneven stacks of books and drawing supplies. She wasn't sure where the woman managed to sleep. One of Mr. Hoffman's flying constructs snapped a picture of you as you were entering the building. He got me in pretty much the same way. Emmeline smirked as she held up two dresses, one dark purple and one blue. It's a marvel what espionage is becoming in the modern era, is it not? Pretty soon even the greats like Margaret Bell may be replaced by machines. Making up her mind, she set the blue dress aside and folded the purple one into her luggage. Since you are not here with the compliment of guardsmen, I assume that he wishes for something in return for my freedom? More or less, as she shoved her hands into her pockets, watching as the blonde woman packed with practiced speed. I'm supposed to tell you that he doesn't intend to tell anyone where you're hiding. This is supposed to be him asking a favor and not some sort of extortion. I think it's precious that he believes there is a difference. She snapped the suitcase shut, then walked to the edge of the bed, pushed aside some books and demurely sat, gloved hands folding in her lap. Well, darling, let's hear it out, shall we? He's looking for his brother, Ryle, she blurted out, blinking in surprise as the words left her mouth. Someone named Anna Lovelace took control of him, and Hoffman's trying to get her back. He wants to know whether you have any idea where she might be. Emmeline smiled in a way that Essie found oddly disarming. And does Mr. Hoffman intend to keep my location a secret? I believe so, Essie heard herself saying. Even though she had just met the woman, she couldn't quite shake the feeling that she was completely trustworthy and needed to know everything Essie could tell her. He's just interested in finding his brother. You're the only lead that we have left. You and this photograph. She pulled the latter out from her jacket and held it out for Emmeline to take. Oh my, that is quite the position you have put me in. Emmeline scooted over and patted the bed next to her, and before she'd consciously realised what she was doing, Essie had crossed the room, sat down next to Emmeline, and handed her the picture. This close to the other woman, Essie could detect the scent of a floral perfume masking something fainter and less pleasant. Ah, the woman in the clockwork dress. She smiled as she looked the picture over, then handed it back to Essie with a soft sigh. I suppose I can help out this once. Mr. Hoffman has always been the very picture of a gentleman, even if he is English. Still, I shall not hold that against him if he seems willing to overlook my own unfortunate condition. Essie's thoughts felt slow, as if she were trying to find them in a thick fog, but something about that statement was setting off a distant alarm bell in her head. She glanced over toward the other woman, and when Emmeline met her gaze, she finally noted that Emmeline's eyes were clouded over like those of a corpse. How did she not notice that before? You're... you're an un... Unfortunate victim of a dreadful condition, Emmeline finished, 
pressing a gloved finger to Essie's lips to silence her. It's a good that I trust we can keep between ourselves. Despite the distant screaming in the back of her mind to leap up and run from the room, or to call up a lightning bolt to defend herself against the undead monstrosity pretending to be a person, Essie felt herself nodding in agreement. Delightful. She removed her finger, patted Essie affectionately on the cheek, and then stood up and returned to her suitcase. I do not have much contact with the resurrectionists any longer, but there are still a few keep me in the loop, as the Americans say. Just last week, I overheard one of my acquaintances that I still keep in touch with. Lovely girl. A bit rough around the edges, but still quite personable despite having a hole in her chest. Mentioned that a new colleague of hers had taken up residence in the wreckage of the Majestic. A colleague who, as it turns out, had the most peculiar clockwork dress. The Majestic? It was still difficult for Essie to think, but the name seemed familiar to her. Is that the Governor-General's landship? The one he used to spearhead the new reclamation movement? For all the good it did him. The man always did have a flair toward the dramatic. I suppose that it's only appropriate that his life ended in an explosion. Emmeline pulled the suitcase from the bed and strode toward the door, opening it and turning back to face Essie. I do hope that what I tell you helps Mr. Hoffman. You'll be so kind as to remind him about that favour he owes me now. Oh, and I still owe the landlord for the past two weeks of rent. I trust you can take care of that on your way out. Essie found herself nodding again. I'll take care of everything, Miss Belrose. Emmeline rewarded her with a pleased smile, and Essie returned it. Her smile gradually faded as the mental fog began to clear away from her thoughts. But by that time, Emmeline was long gone. With a sigh, Essie tucked the photograph back into her jacket, stood up, and headed outside into the afternoon light. She barely even noticed as she detoured toward the landlord's office and started digging in her pocket for her wallet. Essie slumped back into the chair in Hoffman's office. I could really use a drink after that. Never while on duty, he chided her, setting aside the paperwork he'd been filling out. Did Miss Belrose tell you anything useful? There was a sigh of annoyance from the younger woman. Yeah, but I think she has some sort of, I don't know, influencing powers or something. From the moment I saw her, it was like she was more in my head than I was. Hoffman nodded. Yes, her file said as much. Did she tell you anything useful? Did she know where to find Miss Lovelace? Essie shot him a dirty look. Thanks for the heads up, boss. Sitting up, she took a deep breath and relayed everything Emmeline had told her back to him. Turns out she's undead too. I suppose that was in her file as well. I believe there was a mention of it. Hoffman tidied up the stacks of paper on his desk and started toward the door, his metal feet clomping heavily on the floor. Thank you for your service, Miss Sitch. You can pick up your papers of pardon from the front desk. I believe that I can handle everything from here. Whoa, hold on. Essie hopped up and jumped in front of him, blocking the door. She bared her bruised arm to him. What about this thing you put in me? You said you'd take it out. A thin smile appeared on Hoffman's lips. That was a small fiction on my part, Miss Sitch. I apologize for the deceit, but I simply did not have the time to ensure your loyalty in a more traditional manner. 
You have provided me with a valuable service in a difficult time on a venture with which I would have struggled on my own. Nessie stared down at her arm, suddenly feeling very stupid. Oh. Now, if you'll please move out of the way, it would be unfair to involve anyone else in this matter from this point forward. He pushed past her and began clomping down the hallway, only to find Essie hurrying to keep up with him. Was there something else, Miss Sitch? Are you really going out there alone? She pushed past an accountant who shouted rudely after her. Essie didn't even glance back. If this Anna is really a resurrectionist, then she's going to have who knows how many undead things skulking around that wreckage. Hoffman turned a corner, sidestepped a sneering lawyer as best he was able, and continued stomping down the hallway toward the front doors. The death marshals are already stretched thin dealing with the recent incursion into the eastern slums, and trying to round up the guild guard or the witch hunters would take too much time. Time that my brother may not have. I've already wasted too much time trying to find him. Essie ducked past a group of bureaucrats who were being rudely stripped of their briefcases by guild officials in uniforms she'd never seen before. Fine then, I'll come with. The statement stopped him in his tracks, and he glanced down at her in confusion. Perhaps I was not clear before, Miss Sitch. Our arrangement has come to its conclusion. You no longer owe me anything. Yeah, well... Her insistence had surprised even her, but now that she was thinking about it, she didn't regret making the offer. I figure, if you run out there and get yourself killed, the guild's just going to think I had something to do with it, won't they? And knowing the guild as well as I do, they probably just fill your position with some idiot who was more concerned with throwing people in prison than in trying to keep the city safe for the good people out there. Hoffman stared at her for a long time. Then his lips curled up in a genuine smile of affection. Miss Sitch, I am truly touched at your sentiment. Essie rubbed awkwardly at the back of her neck as she lowered her eyes. She could feel herself starting to blush. Don't get all emotional on me or anything. You're still going to owe me and the, the people I work for a favour or two after all this is said and done. He nodded and started back down the hallway. I am certain that Victor would be quite proud of your growing political acumen, Miss Sitch. He doesn't... She threw her hands up as she chased after him. Would you please stop saying stuff like that in public? Despite not bothering to requisition any human reinforcements... Hoffman did not intend to travel into the quarantine zone alone. As they were waiting for his carriage to arrive, a warden construct, absconded from the nearby holding pens, stomped over to join them, its restraint claw flexing as though it were eager for a fight. Once they were in the carriage, once more piloted by Hoffman's round mechanical attendant, they picked up more recruits as they sped from the guild enclave toward their destination. Two watcher constructs swooped down from the sky in front of them, screeching loudly, and sending the crowds in the streets diving for cover as the carriage clattered through the created opening without stopping. A few miles later, they passed two guardian constructs that were waiting for them on either side of the road, their oversized swords and shields raised like an honor guard. They fell in behind the carriage, their metal footsteps making a clatter as their long strides kept pace with the speeding carriage. At one point, a loping hunter dashed past them, taking point along with swooping watchers to help clear the street. Essie caught sight of it through her window and shivered despite herself. With such a retinue in tow, they didn't exactly catch the barricade watch by surprise. It took them just under two hours to reach the hastily built quarantine zone fortifications 
whose demolition two months earlier had marked the beginning and the abrupt end of the late Governor-General's new reclamation. The original time-lock clockwork gate that all the quarantine zone entrances boasted was still in place, but the barricade walls to its left had been hastily rebuilt from where the titanic Majestic had originally ploughed through them. The gate was shut as it always was, but there was a mob of guild guardsmen in their distinctive red and grey uniforms gathered in front of it. As the carriage and its accompanying constructs pulled to a stop in front of the gate, a bearded guardsman hefted himself up and peered into the carriage's window, making both Hoffman and Essie jump. No access, sir. Orders have just come through on the Vox. Supposed to tell you to kindly return the constructs to wherever you borrowed them from, Mr. Hoffman. He looked back and forth between the two of them. Orders from some captain with the sort of clearance I've never seen before. Thank you for passing that on, Hoffman replied. Now open the gate. Sir, I explained why I can't do that. Besides, even if I want it, it's time-locked. We can only open it at two in the morning, no matter what orders you or anyone else wants to toss around. Are you being quite serious? Hoffman asked. Essie heard the clicks and hisses of the constructs outside shifting on their feet, and then some shouts of surprise from the guardsmen. Glancing out the window, she saw an enormous, brutal peacekeeper construct bearing down on them at a canter, scattering the people in the street with shouts of alarm. She looked back to Hoffman and noticed his hands starting to flex and work against one another in his lap. Sir, the guard said, his voice growing nervous as he watched the peacekeeper approaching through the opposite window. You know orders is orders and all, even with what's going on back at the Enclave. We're just trying to keep on the right side of things, despite all the stuff we're hearing. New officers, new orders, all sorts of chatter over the vox of people giving orders and others countermanding them. Then, just an hour ago, young Nicolosi, he came riding out with a new set of stamped orders and some gavel about half the brass being stood down. He gave a pleading look to Hoffman. So please, sir, all I'm asking is that with all the confusion going on right now, please don't make things worse for us by forcing the issue. I am on the clock and acting within the full boundaries of the amalgamation charter, he replied, his voice firm. I do not have time to argue with you. Open the gate. Sir, as I said, oh, for the love of... Hoffman growled, and to Essie's astonishment, he actually bared his teeth in anger. All right, all right, he murmured, falling silent and closing his eyes. Here now, what's he... The guardsman began before Essie motioned him to silence. She didn't know either but she knew absolute concentration when she saw it. Hoffman's breathing started to become more noticeable. His hand shook a little. He moved his head from side to side, as though reading a billboard or a chart, and his hands opened and closed. As he became aware of a sound, there was a loud mechanical ticking from somewhere outside that grew into a clicking and then a clattering. The guardsmen outside let out a shout of surprise and then the enormous metal bolts holding the clockwork gate in place drew back with loud metallic thuds, and the gate swung open on its oversized hinges. When the guardsman looked back to Hoffman, the amalgamation director was pointing a neatly manicured finger directly in his face. You, he demanded. Off. The guardsman fell back out of the carriage as if Hoffman's finger had been a pistol. Bloody useless. Hoffman murmured under his breath, and then his attendant snapped the reins of the carriage. It accelerated so quickly that it actually jerked Essie back into her seat. By the time she'd sat back up and looked out of the window, 
The gate was behind them, and they were in the Barrows district of the quarantine zone. The ground was an open plain of collapsed and shattered masonry, a testament to the passing of the Governor-General's massive landship, and the carriage began to jounce heavily over the debris and broken ground. Hoffman was anchored in place via his walking frame, but Essie bounced back and forth from one end of the bench seat to the other. She finally managed to brace herself as best she could as the Majestic came into view. Hoffman's throat worked as he tried to swallow. I am truly glad you are here, Miss Sitch. If the worst has come to bear and my brother is no more, I am not certain I could bear it alone. Essie knew that she should say something, but she found herself at a loss for words. Well, Hoffman said, enough of that. Let's get on with it. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for the conclusion of Ripples of Fate on Tales of Malifaux.